Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In the spirit of reconciliation, the entire team at Curious Freedom acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connection to land, waters, and community. We acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders people listening today. I would like to acknowledge in particular the Darug people who are the original custodians on the land on which I record this podcast. Thank you for showing us what curious freedom can look like. Welcome to Curious Freedom Podcast with me, Kirsty Faruja, and friends. And today I have my beautiful, lovely, big-hearted friend, Maz, on the show with me. Say welcome, Maz. Thank you. I love you. And this is just a real treat because it's like us hanging out, but then everyone gets to eavesdrop on our conversation. I know. (laughs) I love that. And I love that I've been buzzing all morning thinking about and yesterday going, yay, I get to speak to Maz. I I love our Um, conversations. So curious listeners, if you have not heard my previous conversations with Maz, and I'll put a link in the show notes, go back and listen. And today we're just going to see where this conversation leads. So, Maz, introduce my world to your your world. (laughs) Yeah, I'm introducing myself to your world. So it's actually really tricky because I wear a lot of hats. I am a mum, which is probably my favourite thing that I am. I have a four and a half year old Fornado and his name's Henry And he is just a diamond of a human and just the centre of my universe and I'm just obsessed with him. So other than, you know, getting up three times a night because sometimes Henry gets up three times a night, (laughs) I also host a breakfast radio show with a good mate of mine, Matt Baisley. We're called the Maz and Maddie Breakfast Show. We also are on a little podcast. I also have my own podcast called Last Drinks where I talk about sobriety and I've just written a book about that too. So I do a few things and I'm really tired. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully this conversation is life-giving to you and brings you sustenance for the rest of your day. (laughs) 
I wouldn't have said yes if it wasn't going to fulfill me. So, and it was a, it was an immediate yes to you, Kirsty. So, I'm so excited to hear about your book because since our last conversation on the podcast, we've been in sporadic contact with one another and we had like a little bit of radio silence on both of our parts for a couple of years. And then I walked into Jimmy's a couple of months ago and went, oh, that's my friend's book. Like, I'm going to claim you. Like, and I was, I went up to the person at the counter, I was buying something and I was like, I know that person. That's my friend. And so I took a photo of it and sent it to you and went, Hey, congratulations. I'm so excited. Yeah, it's funny because I feel like when we were first kind of chatting and it, I was very early on in my sobriety and and we will get into this how like decluttering is one of my sobriety tools, which I talk about in the book. That's kind of how we started our friendship. Really. Yeah. And I feel like even back then I knew there was a book in me. Like I wrote it down in my goal list to be a published author, which is no small thing. And, you know, I don't do things in halves. And I kind of wrote it down a couple of years ago and just sort of left it there. And then life got in the way. And I feel so grateful that the way this whole book unfolded for me, it's not the common story. So I started a podcast called Last Drinks. I've been sober for eight and a half years. And, you know, I just get people contacting me going like, what do I tell my friends? Will I die of boredom? Like all of the questions that I had when I was thinking about reframing my relationship with alcohol. And I thought, I'm just going to start having conversations with people. So I talked to people who are sober about their last drink and we cycle back and forth through their story about, you know, the events leading up to that, what they've learned since. And then I talked to experts about how we manage anxiety without alcohol and there's a whole bunch of stuff in there. So I was just, you know, doing this podcast in all of that spare time that I was telling you about that I have before. <laughs> and I got an email from this woman who works at a publishing company and she was like, hey, I've been listening to your podcast, listening for a friend. And I really think that Wiley would love to put a book out in this space and my job is to commission projects that I think are going to be successful. Would you be interested in writing a book about sobriety? And I was like, dear Lucy, <laughs> here is my three-point marketing plan. Here is my synopsis. Like I'd already started curating the content for this book. And I was like, also, here's a screenshot of my goals from four years ago. And so it really had like they came to me and then we nutted it out and I already had like a really solid plan. I knew exactly the book that I wanted to put out into the world. And that is exactly the book that you saw on that shelf in Dimmicks. Like the whole process I went through, it is completely my voice. They are all my words. I love my books. <laughs> That's not like me being completely up myself. All I did was created the book that I wish I had on the 1st of January 2015 when I decided to stop drinking for a while because I, I know it would have helped and that's the book that I wrote. I'm so excited because, one, when you were on the podcast before, you did talk about decluttering and your sobriety journey, but not like you just touched on it and and now I'm like, right, tell us more. And do you know what I love most is how connected your story is to curious freedom because of the word curious 
Totally. You're 100% right. It's really interesting. Just to give a little bit of backstories. In 2014, I was drinking a lot of alcohol. This is literally the first part of my book. What's a lot, you ask? I don't know, a bottle of wine a day. And some people hear a bottle of wine a day and they go, oh my God, like you, you alco. And then other people are like, only a bottle? (laughs) So there's a real range on what quantity of alcohol equates for people. So I don't really like to talk about amounts anymore. I just talk about the fact that it wasn't working for me. I was in a position in life where I was highly successful, high functioning, loving my life, earning tons of money on billboards. I had a national radio show. I was flying all over the world. Life was amazing, but I was drinking all the time and I didn't want to drink anymore and I didn't know how to stop. So that was my 2014 And at some point I started asking myself some pretty big questions in the mirror like, why are you doing this behavior that you don't want to do anymore? That doesn't really make sense. Like you're smarter than that, Maz. Like I'm a pretty smart person, but I was making really dumb choices and I couldn't like reconcile it. So over a bit of time, I landed on, okay, if nothing changes, nothing changes. Let's change it up. I'm going to stop drinking for a month and see how things look. So from that month, I've literally never had an alcoholic drink since, but I didn't start out to never drink again. I started out just as an exploration, a curiosity around what my life might look like without alcohol because my life was really good, but I didn't feel great. And I also was in a situation where I didn't feel like I could go to my friend's party and not drink. And I was like, well, that's weird because I should be able to go and hang out with my friends and not drink. But I didn't feel like I could. So in that first year that I stopped drinking, I stopped drinking for a month, felt pretty good, decided to get to my birthday, which is March 2nd, got through my birthday, decided to get to the middle of the year, six months is a good milestone. And by that point, I was like, lick this. I don't want to drink again. This is, I feel so good. But where the decluttering thing came in, it was so interesting. So I actually feel like it was in my second year of not drinking that I stumbled upon The Minimalists, Netflix documentary, and I, and I was watching lots of documentaries on Netflix. Why? Because I wasn't going out drinking all the time. <laughs> and so one of the things that I did is I actually learned how to relax, which is still a bit of a struggle for me, but I stopped going out so much. I still went out and socialized with a kombucha or a herbal tea, which people thought was really weird. But then I also learned to just like not go and not feel like I needed to go all the time to stuff. And with that, I, you know, had a lot of free time. And so with that, I binge watched a lot of Netflix. And one of the things that I watched was this documentary by The Minimalist. And I was just absolutely captivated by their story and this sense of freedom that they felt when they got rid of their stuff. And I started looking around my apartment and I was like, do I really need four sets of roller skates? Like I know one of them's leopard print, but like four's a lot. And then I went through <laughs> I went through my That's not normally like, the thing that I relate to people. Like I don't, like normally I'm like, how many black leggings do you need? Not how many pairs of roller skates. I know. Do you I'm need? A, it's I'm so awesome. I love it. I love it. <laughs> So what I did is like I then bought the book and then so I read the book. So I just kind of like 
it's what people do when they get sober, right? You just immerse yourself in information about the thing that you're doing. It's weird because it's a really similar thing. It's like, I want to minimize, but I don't want to be a minimalist. It's like when people get sober, they're like, I want to stop drinking, but I don't want to never drink again, you know? And I'm far from a minimalist, but I definitely had I had a buying issue, I had a storage issue, and I had a things make me feel better addiction. And and that's, you know, for me, it was my wardrobe was out of control. Like, and I had this thing where I could not wear the same outfit twice. And I think back now and I'm like, I wonder where that came from. Like, where did I get this idea that if I wear a dress to an event that I can't wear it again so, and I wouldn't chuck it out or give it away or donate it to charity, it would just sit in my wardrobe and I'll go, oh, well, I wore that dress to, you know, so the Cosmo so. Awards. Yeah. So I started, again, it was all this questioning around like, why do I have so much stuff and why am I keeping it all? And so then I really genuinely just one day, I took a sneaky peek in the top drawer of the kitchen. And I was like, I'm just going to sort some stuff out here. And it was the best feeling ever. And I had 17 chopsticks. And I'm like, that's an uneven number. That's insane. (laughs) And I just started going through. I started in the kitchen because the wardrobe scared me. And I think I was a bit disassociated from the kitchen because I wasn't wearing stuff in the kitchen. I think the way I wore clothes at the time was a real statement of personality and I I wasn't ready to deconstruct my personality yet. So I just dabbled in the kitchen and I lived in a tiny apartment with my boyfriend. So, you know, we just had just overflow of stuff. And I really, over a couple of weeks, started sorting through it. And the reason I was able to do that, again, was because I wasn't going out drinking and I had the time and I was spending more time at home And I didn't want my home to be full of junk and dust and mold and just rubbish that I didn't need. And it was so cathartic and it was so freeing and cleansing to just be like, oh, I don't need, I don't need all this stuff. And and to be fair, there were a few things that I got rid of that I was like, oh, I think I took it too far. And I remember sharing this story on the podcast last time where there was this like wooden bread bin like with a little retractable door bread bin and I was like this is an ugly piece of junk and I feel like I'm gonna go paleo in a minute anyway so what do we need a (laughs) bread bin for and so I said to my boyfriend at the time he's now my husband he did not dump me after this (laughs) he didn't ask me to move out surprising I said oh this is just the ugliest piece of crap isn't it can I get rid of it and he was like that's the only thing that I have that's tangible from before my parents broke up and decimated my family unit. I was like, I guess we can keep it. <laughs> oh. Do you still have it? We still Yeah. Did it get sourdough put in it during lockdown? You know that it absolutely has sourdough in it because <laughs> my husband is a trailblazer and he did sourdough before lockdown. Like he, because he stopped drinking too. And he was like, what am I going to do with all of my time? I'm going to watch some French dude on YouTube make sourdough while my wife cleans out all of the cupboards. <laughs> but it's a weird thing because I was so connected to my stuff and I feel like my stuff defined who I was. And once I'd gone through the kitchen and I was like, oh, I can just redefine who I am and I don't need to have all of these gadgets and things and I don't actually need 
this stuff and I was okay to let go of it. And I think that was the thing that really tipped me over then into, I think what we did next was the packing party, which is a thing they do in the minimalist. We did it because we were actually moving. (laughs) But the idea is you pack everything that you own into boxes and over the next 21 days, anytime you need something, you take it out and then you put it away in your home. And after 21 days, whatever's left in the boxes, which is usually 80% of your stuff, means that none of those things are essential. And then you can figure out what to do with that stuff. You either give it away to charity, you could sell it, burn it, whatever, or keep it, you know, up to you. And so we were actually physically moving house. So we did the packing party in the new house where we unpacked stuff over 21 days-ish, and then the rest of the stuff we kind of dealt with. And I've done that twice now. Like when we moved into our next house, the bookshelf didn't come with us, which was a massive one. I was like, we're getting rid of the books. Irony, because I'm an author. But I was like, all of these books I've read and they're sitting on a shelf gathering dust. And it's a really nice brag. Like, yeah, I've read seven Brené Brown books. How cool am I? How smart am I? But I was like, no one needs to know that. And these books, most of the books that I had are self-helpy or empowerment or I'm like these books aren't serving their purpose sitting on my shelf being bragging rights to me these books need to be given to other people to empower them so I gave most of my books away couldn't get rid of the Oprah shrine I've kept all my Oprah books because I love her so much we've got recipe books at home but I use those all the time because I cook all the time because I'm not out drinking like it's this whole beautiful circle that's so connected and it's just bizarre how connected decluttering and sobriety is for me they're so intrinsically linked I love that I literally could listen to you all day every day and (laughs) now you know with all your podcasts I can so it's good thank you for that service to the world I also love how sobriety can I mean I think it's a human condition to want to change and grow (laughs) yeah and I think that it's also where we find the most resistance I'm really curious about sober curiosity Mm. that's why I'm like I love that we both talk about curiosity and I love that I now have a podcast that I get to explore wherever my curiosity leads and I'm so thankful that it's led back to you so Mm. Let's talk about the curiosity around sobriety and also I want to get into where else has curiosity led you? Yeah, Yeah, let's start with the sobriety stuff. So for me, I got to a point where alcohol wasn't working for me. And so I Googled, am I an alcoholic? And I was so disappointed when I found out that I wasn't because I was (laughs) like, oh, if I was an alcoholic, that would be easy. I'd just go to AA. But I read the definition, several definitions. I was like, that's not me. And so it led to a lot of questions around my drinking behavior. And that was the start of the sober curiosity because I kept landing on, but I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. But then how do I not do this anymore? And it was all of the like, why do you keep doing something that you don't want to do? Why do you keep going out and drinking when you said that you're not going to drink that day? Why can't you keep to the rules and the boundaries that you're setting yourself for alcohol? Now, with alcohol, those boundaries and rules can be really tricky because alcohol is a substance and it changes our brain chemistry. And so 
it's harder to moderate than to be sober. Let me say that again. It's harder to moderate than to be sober because when you're sober, it's just zero. How many drinks are you having? None ever. But when you moderate, it's like, oh, it's a Thursday, so I'm going to allow myself two. Oh, it's a weekend, so I'll drink one out of the two days. So I drank yesterday, so I'll try not to drink today. And then what happens when you cross that boundary and then you feel shameful and then you will probably drink to get rid of the shame and then you blame and then you're back in this cycle and I was in that loop. So my curiosity was around why do I keep doing something I don't want to do and how do I change that? Because everything I've tried isn't working. I've tried having a month off for other reasons. So I tried to have a month off to raise money for charity. I tried to have a month off, I think, to prove to myself that I didn't have a problem and those things didn't stick. So what I landed on was I had to change my brain a little bit and go, instead of trying to prove that you don't have a drinking problem by not drinking for a month, why don't you see what life is like without alcohol? And that mental switch was the thing that changed my intention of a month without alcohol from resistance and white knuckling and like living without this thing that I desperately do every day to exploration an adventure, an experiment, something new, something exciting, something enticing, something wild. And at the time, very rebellious because nearly nine years ago, nobody was sober. I was literally the only person. <laughs> and, and if people were, they didn't really talk about it. And so I've really felt like the lone soldier on the mission, but I felt like I had to do it for me. And so the curiosity really started with this disconnect that I felt between my thought life and, and my behavior. So that's sober curiosity. I think if I want to explain it to people of like, what is sober curiosity? I think it's just any level of questioning you have around your relationship with alcohol and the idea of what would it be like to not drink? That is just, that question alone is the start of sober curiosity. And I think it can ebb and flow and it can also present itself in other ways. But I think fundamentally it's the, am I okay with my relationship with alcohol? Not, then that's the sober curiosity start point for most people. I love the whole concept of experimentation and practicing and then mm. having grace for yourself instead of shame. Mm. I find it so heartbreaking that we go to shame instead mm. of grace and compassion. Mm. Well, I know Brené <laughs> talks about this all the time. You know, my best mate, Brené. Um, <laughs> but like, I would love for people to be more compassionate with themselves and to be like, hey, this is just an experiment. I'm just practicing this and let's see how I feel and what my thoughts are and what comes up mm. for me and what resistance comes up and questioning the stories that we tell ourselves. hundred percent. Like going, yeah. is that really the truth? Do I feel that in my body? <laughs> and this leads me to, you know, <laughs> my next rabbit hole around like often with alcohol and any form of addiction, it's numbing ourselves to our body. Yeah. And not wanting to deal with the uncomfortableness that comes up for us. So we yeah. shop or we drink or we work it out in another addictive way. 
because we are not listening to our bodies and that's like our mind and our physical body. Like I was listening to one of your amazing podcasts and listening to how excited you got around how much our body responds to alcohol and Mm. how incredible it is. So everybody go listen to Maz's podcast. I'll link to it in the show notes. Yeah, I'm just like, how do we as humans get better at listening to our bodies and trusting our Mm. bodies? It's really hard because, I mean, and I can only really speak from my own experience. Like I have lots of conversations with lots of people, but I've got the lived experience of this. I wasn't given any other coping tools. And so I think when I was younger, I drank because it was fun. It was expected. It's what we did. And then life got a little bit tough and my parents got divorced and then I got divorced and then my friend died and I just didn't have any other coping skills. So I just drank alcohol to numb the pain because no one wants to feel pain. And so without realizing it, I lent on alcohol for a myriad of reasons. And at one point, it probably just helped me get through because it meant I didn't have to deal with the pain. I suppressed the emotions and I could just, you know, get through it. And then unfortunately, that has an expiration date and you just get to a point where you have to put on your big girl pants and deal with the pain and face your trauma and forgive yourself for mistakes. It's the big girl stuff that is the stuff that you get to in sobriety and you can't do it if you keep drinking because alcohol is a numbing agent. It literally rewires our brain and how we think. And so when you think about a thought will inform your emotions, then your emotions will inform your behavior and it's a loop. And so the more you go, ah, crisis, oh, booze, oh, forget, (laughs) that's the loop. And it takes a long time, but it's not impossible, but it takes a long time to like stop that loop happening. You have to like starve your brain of that dependence on alcohol as a way to deal or cope with stuff and find other and better tools. And so again, for me, it wasn't until months into my sobriety that I got super emotional. (laughs) Like I just really had a massive cry a lot because it was, there was a whole forgiveness piece in there. There was a lot of kid stuff that I had to go back to and deal with. And I did this all through therapy. I sat on a blue couch with several boxes of Kleenex and I just got through it. And it was only because of sobriety that I really had the self-compassion, the self-awareness and the self-love to give that gift to myself and set myself free from the past. And that's really hard and it was really painful and it was really horrible. And I'm not selling a really great picture of sobriety right now by (laughs) saying all of this stuff, but I also don't want to sell people into a false sense that sobriety is just like rainbows and unicorns because it's not. It's real and it has its moments. It has its benefits, its compounded benefits and its kickbacks, absolutely. And I think the biggest thing, my biggest encouragement to people is when I hear, but like, what do you do at the end of a tough day? Because getting sober doesn't stop the tough days. Just like decluttering doesn't either. Like, you know, just because I've got a capsule wardrobe, it doesn't mean my life's perfect. It just means I don't have decision fatigue at eight in the morning, you know, because I haven't had to think about what I'm wearing because there's not that many options. But it's like you gain the capacity to deal with the tough days and the long days and the bad days and the rough roads. So what you gain is 
you gain capacity to get through instead of our default, which is to shut it down, suppress, forget it, distract. So it is confronting when you are faced with some bits and pieces from your past or your life or yourself or your relationship or whatever it is that comes up. But that's actually the human experience we're supposed to have. We're supposed to feel our way through life, not think our way through life. And I believe that it's only been in the last like 18 months for me that I've really found my default now is to feel my feelings because I used to just suppress them with alcohol. But then in the last eight and a half years, I haven't had any alcohol to suppress any of my feelings. So a lot of the time I will try and think my way through emotional big stuff. And then it's just lately I've been through some grief counseling because I've had a lot of grief that that's really been where I've done some work and I'm learning and I'm still learning. I'm a work in progress, but I'm learning to really feel my way through and tell my brain, this is going to sound a bit weird, but my therapist said it to me and it made sense. She was like, your brain is so unhelpful, but it's trying to be helpful. So you can, you can actually say, hey, brain, thanks for trying to think my way through how I feel about the fact that my dad passed away last year. Thank you. That's, you know what? I understand your intention is to try and help me, but this is a feelings thing. So I'm just going to park all the thoughts and I'm just going to be really, really sad that my dad died last year and be sad about it and be okay to be sad about it. And there are some days where I am still sad. And there are some days where I'm like, it's okay. And that's all a part of the human experience that we absolutely miss out on when we're not living in the present moment because we are dissolving our emotions and our feelings with booze. <laughs> Keep preaching it, my friend. Keep preaching. <laughs> I do go on rants, don't I? Oh, I love it. I love it. And I love that technique of like acknowledging how our body is trying to keep us safe. Thank you, brain, for trying to keep me safe. However, this is a safe place. I am in a safe place and I can sit in my emotions because I'm actually safe. Thank you for thinking I'm not. I am. You can sit over there while I hang out with my feelings. <laughs> totally. And like, you know, emotions are energy emotion. And so you have to feel them to get them out, right? It's like, that's why I think talk therapy is so good because like you're actually moving through that energy emotion. And I, and I know, especially as women, like I always feel better after a massive bitch session because I've gotten it out of my system. And, and I, I just think that when you're drinking, you're just suppressing it all and it's stagnant and it's, you know, like it's just stifled and it's staying within you. It's not shifting. But when we talk and when we cry and when we declutter and do things that are cathartic and good for us and exercise and all of that good stuff. It's moving. It's like get it's shifting and sifting and it's just getting through it. And I think that there's something, you know, almost spiritual without being all like weird and spiritual, but there's almost something spiritual about those experiences in life where you're like, oh my God, I just I feel like I'm through the worst of that. That's all right. Next curveball, like line it up, you know, because <laughs> they keep Next coming. Next thing coming at me. What? But for this second, <laughs> I'm, I'm safe. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 
mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A beautiful listener and friend of mine sent me an idea for a podcast topic and it was around how using our hands and moving our body helps us. I'm so curious right now because you're clearly an extrovert, as am I, around Ah, how we... Interesting. I will keep going with my thought and you can correct me in a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is, and so you may be helping to prove my point here because I was curious about, I love talking, clearly have a podcast so I can do just that. And I love processing through conversations and I absolutely love that you said that. And so then it got me thinking, because I heard somebody yesterday saying that's how she does it because she's an extrovert. And now I'm Mm -hmm. like going, oh, maybe you're not. And I was also thinking about another friend of mine who is not, but that's also how she processes. Okay. So the most surprising thing that I discovered about myself in sobriety is that I'm an introvert, (laughs) which just baffles people because they're like, what do you mean? Like you host a radio show and you're on podcasts all the time. And I was on the Today Show the other day and I'm like, yeah, I'm an excellent communicator and have a really big personality, but I process best alone. And if I don't have carved out me time, I implode. And I only learned this about myself when I stopped drinking. So what I realized is I used to go out and drink alcohol. I didn't think at the time that it was doing this, but I realized looking back in hindsight, I used to feel anxious going out. And so I would drink alcohol to mask the anxiety. And the reason that I actually had social anxiety is because I'm an introvert and I much prefer to be alone. Now, it's not just that I don't love my mates. It's not just that I don't love communicating with people, but I refuel by myself. Like I'm not a power bank of four plugs. I'm a one plug person, (laughs) right? Do you know what I'm saying? So whilst 
all of this that I'm really good at, the communication stuff, I'm very passionate about what I do. I love talking in front of crowds. I love having these intimate conversations and I love hosting radio. It drains me so hard and I need to go into Maz restoration mode, which is in my Ugg boots, in my pajamas, on my couch, just chilling out eating popcorn or just at home with my family to refuel and restore and reset so that I can go again. And what I did for all of my adult life until I got sober was I just ran on adrenaline, alcohol, and caffeine because I didn't understand that about myself. And because everybody told me I was an extrovert because I'm so fun to hang out with, I just assumed that I was an extrovert. And then what I've realized is like, oh my God, I like don't love hanging out with people a lot. Like if I'm choosing to hang out with you, feel special because it's few and far between. All that he's saying is that know thyself. Like I know who I am now and I know I can do this because I had an afternoon yesterday where I gave myself an hour of self-care. I went for a walk around the block with the dog. The dog counts as restoration therapy animal. (laughs) And that's how I'm able to get up at four in the morning every day and, and perform. So I'm an introvert and an excellent performer, which was so confusing for my entire adult life until I stopped drinking and I figured it out. And then I was also like, man, I'm really tired. And that's part of the thing is like, I need rest and I need sleep because what I do is so giving and so takes up a lot of space for me, a lot of energy, a lot of my mental capacity. When I'm in these moments, I give of myself because that's what I want to do. But I can only do that because I've shown myself compassion and care and looked after my introversion, which is like go to bed early or have a little rest or just, you know, it's very, people think I'm busy. So funny because I'm busy in the sense that I I wear a lot of hats, but like most afternoons I'm just hanging out with my kid. (laughs) Like I don't stack my diary full. I'm very, very fussy on where I choose to spend my energy because I know it's going to drain me. And so it has to be worth it for me. And I say no a lot. And I think that for a long time, I was so scared of letting people down that I didn't want to say no. And what I've realized now is that I'm either going to let someone else down or I'm going to let myself down and I'm not going to let myself down anymore because I know who I am and what I need. So I'm an introvert. <laughs> and this is what I'm like, I, I'm having a conversation with somebody later today around personalities because I've been thinking about extroversion and introversion because I haven't been going out hardly at all lately. And I'm like, oh, I know that that's because I've had low mood, but then I'm also like, but maybe I am introvert. <laughs> like, and I think it depends too, like, it'd be so interesting to talk to this person about like their definition of introversion and extroversion. Cause from my understanding is how you refuel. It's not what you project. It's what you internally need. And that's why you can be, I'm an extroverted introvert. Mm-hmm. So the need to refuel alone and downtime and chill and like go away, leave me alone, switch off my phone, days off social media, all that stuff plays to my introversion that fuels me up so that I can be extroverted when I need to be. I think the processing thing is because we're women. <laughs> like I think that yes. the the need for communication and the need for processing and the need for affirmation 
verbally and engagement in conversation, like women are conversationalists, like it feeds who we are in the, like go back to the tribe, you know, like it feeds who we are. And so I think that maybe that sense is like your feminine energy and maybe the hanging at home bit is playing a bit into that introversion but then you also have this beautiful personality. Like you can you can be all of them at once, but I think it's about figuring out the need that you have to show up and be your best in the moment. And once you figure out that, it's a relief because definitely for me, I was so relieved. I remember my therapist, it was like she blew my mind <laughs> when she was like, I was having this massive whinge and I was crying and I had snot running out of my face. And I was like, I just don't want to go to these things sometimes. And she's like, don't go. <laughs> what do you mean? Don't go. She's like, just don't, don't go. go. I'm like, but it doesn't make sense. <laughs> she's like, can you just honor yourself and give yourself what you need? And if you don't want to go to something, don't go. And I just was like, <laughs> my brain exploded. Because I realized I hadn't honored myself for 36 years, which is terrifying, but great that I landed on that because I feel like I've honored myself since that day moving forward. And I don't just say no all the time, by the way. Like there's stuff that I Clearly, do. You're here. It's stuff, yeah, it's stuff that I am passionate about and I care about and I know is going to fulfill me. Thank you, dear listeners, for being part of this therapy session with us. <laughs> is because these conversations fill me up these conversations excite me and spur me on to do more great work elsewhere then I'm like but my family (laughs) don't fill me up in the same way like I love I love my husband I love my children and I need downtime from them yeah but give me a friend and this is what I'm like so loving Michelle Obama at the moment in that I love her concept of the kitchen table and Mm. that's how we can go high when others go low is because we do the whinging to our kitchen table and Mm -hmm. I love that my podcast listeners are part of my kitchen table and I love that you're part of my kitchen table at times too like that I can whinge to you and it all out and you hold space for me in that and that allows me to then be my best everywhere else because I've had that kitchen table moment with you and with other people. And so I'm loving that concept from Michelle. So thank you. Anytime you want to be on the podcast, Michelle, just let me know. I'd love that. What a dream boat. Did you see the, um, when Oprah interviewed Michelle Obama, it's on Netflix, I think, about her latest book. It's epic. So Michelle Obama did a book tour. So for Becoming, the book, she did a book tour and filmed it and made a documentary. But for her latest book, she did all these events and Oprah hosted the Chicago event. And it was, oh, just those two women on a stage. I was just in awe. Everything they said, I was like, oh, my God, write it down. That's so powerful. It was so cool. I love it. I will link to it in the show notes for everybody else playing along at home. I wanted to chat to you about what else you've decluttered. So not in the physical, but in your emotional and mental space through your sober journey. 
gosh. Yeah, Not that's all of such it a because great, otherwise it'll yeah. be here for another couple of days, which would be lovely. A few days. Yeah. That's such a great question. So uh, one thing I let go of in sobriety was other people's opinions and caring about them. That's probably the biggest one that springs to mind. So I have a PhD in people pleasing and <laughs> I got that from my parents. Thanks guys for that baggage. And I've always been a people pleaser and I work in entertainment and I have an extroverted personality. Well, I, I have a bigger personality with great communication skills, which people assume is extroversion. So there's a lot of things working against me when it comes to caring about what people think. And I was so hung up on other people's opinions of myself. I think it's maybe 98% of the reason why I ended up in media and in TV and radio and all of the things. Like when you look back, you're like, whoa. But in sobriety, I learned to just give zero <laughs> you know what flying about for carches. flying for carches I love that I'm stealing that I'm taking that with me it took a long time it took a while because it was my default and it's hard to let go of something that you're so attached to but other people's opinions of me I don't care about anymore I care about people I care about my friends and I'm a mad empath and I have a lot of compassion, but I just have no time for what people are going to think of me and what I do. And so I spend my time doing stuff that I believe I've been put here on the planet to do. And that is a really long, it was a long, long, long process. Definitely something I'm still working on for sure, but that is probably the biggest one that I've let go of. Let it go. I love it. I um I was thinking about that when I've been listening to your podcasts around letting go <laughs> and around people pleasing and around again like coming back to this idea of is that true for me? Like am mm. I saying am I saying yes to Kirsty to be on her podcast because that feels true to me or am I doing it because there's an expectation from Kirsty that I'll say yes and mm. is that the story that I'm telling myself and if it's just a story that you're telling yourself then you can let it go and if it's the truth then you can move forward in that whichever way it is saying no saying yes whatever the truth is for you like you can move towards that truth and continue walking that path. And that whole concept of letting go of the stories that we tell ourselves and letting go of any stories that we think other people are telling themselves, like it, that's their baggage and that's their story. And also this morning, been thinking about this concept of that was so many Kirsties ago. <laughs> Mm. And I learned that from like Rob Bell and his brilliant podcast, which I'll give links to that episode as well in the show notes. But just when people have an expectation that you're going to be Maz, the people pleaser, mm. like being able to say to them, oh, sorry, I think you're confused with Maz of eight years ago <laughs> or yeah. Maz of, oh, that was like 13 Mazes ago that I would say <laughs> yes to that. And uh, this whole journey of life and evolution, our own evolution, like our own growing and changing and becoming a different person. Again, coming back to this episode, I'm going to link it because I just loved it. Your episode this week, when you were talking to Gabriella about 
that person who got on the plane is part of who she is now. And you and I, like the person who started a podcast six years ago, is part of who I am now, but it's also 600 Kirsties ago. And I'm yeah. not the same person. And yeah. how do we have compassion for that Kirsty and the choices that she's made all along the way? And that freeing sense of, oh, <laughs> that was 600 Kirsties ago. I think so. I got asked this question the other day and I actually really surprised myself and the person that asked me with the answer. I talked about my whole sobriety, like the whole story, the long story. And we went right back to my first drink and then my last drink and then all, you know. So I had my first drink at 15 and it was horrendous, like vomiting at the back of a party. Like it was just, it was so tragic and classic teenage. 15 year old. 15, right. Not my finest moment. And this person said to me, what would you say to 15-year-old Mats? And I said, don't change a thing because without her, I don't get here. And so I actually want to thank her, even though it was a really long, winded, hectic roller coaster. She found me, and I'm so grateful for that. And this person was just like so expecting me to like, you don't know, do like, it, Mads. Like, don't do it. The demon from the teenage years and whatever. And I was just like, no, like she's perfect because she's me. And I am so much more mature and evolved and wrinklier than she is, but she is the essence of Maz. And without her, we don't get me. And we need me because I have a really, I feel like I have, I don't want to say a big responsibility on my shoulders, but I do feel like I have a job to share this story of sobriety so that people can find it for themselves because that's what I'm here to do now. And so without her, you don't get here. And so thanks. Thanks for being her. I think that you can have both. Like you can be really grateful for her and her journey that's got you to this current evolution of Mavs. And you can also go back to that inner child and say, hey, babe, these are the reasons that you're making these choices. Like, And have Mm -hmm. compassion for that 15-year-old that made Mm -hmm. unwise choices and made wise choices all through her life until she got to this mess. It's not... It's not black and white, everybody. Yeah. It's rainbow colour. Yeah, there's so many colours. Yes. (laughs) And I love that it's not one way or the other. Yeah. And even in this sober journey, like you can have compassion for yourself if you do have that drink tonight. Yeah. And you can start again tomorrow. And that's what I was going to say. Like that response comes from a place of compassion, not judgment. And I think if we can be like that more with ourselves, we'll be more like that with other people. And that I think is our best place to operate out of is compassion, not judgment. Yeah, a hundred percent. Let's lead the world with love. Mm. (laughs) And I'm so, so excited that this Maz is now sitting in front of me (laughs) on the screen and I'm And I'm so excited for what's coming for you. So tell the curious ones what's coming for you and how you're leading with love in this life and in this evolution of Maz and how they can come on board and see the journey unfold for you. 
Yeah, so since I've released the book and, you know, just the, a general comment that I get is like, can you make an online course or like a sobriety school or something? Because, you know, there's a plan in the book, but I think people want a little bit more accountability or a little bit more guidance. And so I've collaborated with a really beautiful friend of mine, Lindy Cohen, and we are doing an audio series, which is essentially answering every question you've ever had about alcohol in audio format. So I think we're going to release it as a private podcast and an audio series. So any question that you've ever had about your relationship with alcohol, do you drink too much? What is too much? What will my friends say? How do I tell anybody? Why do I wake up at 3am feeling guilty? All of that stuff we unpack in this audio series and I'm nearly nine years into my sobriety and Lindy is at the very beginning of her sobriety and that's why I think it's the perfect collaboration because we are bookending people's questions and moments and it's just been a really awesome process working with somebody on something that I've wanted to deliver but we kind of needed each other to get it done. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, if you go to my website, mazcompton.com, there's a wait list and you can just click to join that and then we'll give you all of the information when when it's out and available and for your listening pleasure. <laughs> and have you got audiobook of Last Drinks yet? Yes. The audiobook's done. I lost my voice recording the audiobook because reading 234 pages is a lot, to be honest with you. It was funny, actually, Kirsty, when I was reading the audiobook, this is going to sound so weird, but I had to physically read my own book, which I wrote. And I've read about 10 times now because of the editing process and proofreading and, you know. But when I was reading the audiobook, I remember I had this moment and I was like, this is a really good book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice because I was worried that maybe I'd read it and be like oh damn I want to change that or like oh that's a bit you know outdated or controversial but I was like oh this is so good so I feel like that's meant to be out any day now it's with the production company and they're finessing it and fine-tuning it and it should I feel like it's maybe it's even out now and let me google it but anyway it's it'll be it's it'll be there it's there and it probably will be by time this episode goes probably so i can't wait i'm literally like searching on audible to see (laughs) you do that it's exciting it's in audible guys my my audio book my audio book is out i'm so excited that i was here when you realized that i love it so much okay well that's great job done Oh my gosh. Like, awesome. Now everybody, every English listener in the world can get your book. I'm so excited. Yes, you can. It's official. Cool. (laughs) Let's bask in the glory of Maz right now. Oh, thanks, babe. No, it's so nice. I love chatting to you. It's so good. And I love the idea. Like you say, like the link that we have is is the curiosity. And I say to my listeners of my podcast, like, stay curious about everything because it's it's the place in which you learn. It's the place where things will find you. And it's more exciting to be curious than to have your theology down. And it's like, well, you're probably going to change your mind in 20 minutes or two years or whatever it is because everything's fluid and moving and there's nothing really set in stone other than the beginning and the end of it all. That's it. Everything else is up for discussion. So let's have the chat. 
A hundred percent. That's why I'm all like, again, if you listen to my first episode of this podcast, I am 600 Kirsties evolved from that. <laughs> like, I'm just so, I'm a different person because of everything that life has thrown at me and all the curveballs or every decision that I've made since that. And that's why I'm all like, I, I love that concept of holding everything with open hands. Like, hey, I could be wrong. Like I'm having this discussion this morning with a friend of mine about the Barbie movie and how I feel like heaps of the commentary about it is missing the mark, is not understanding the whole point of the movie. And I'm like, but I could be wrong. Yeah. I could be the one missing. And even in that thread, I was all like, oh, I get so frustrated that people view the world this way. And I'm like, but I've got my own lenses on. So maybe I'm the one <laughs> drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> totally. I totally get it. And I think that's a that's just a better place to operate out of. It's like, mm, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Shane Miller does that a lot. He does this like sermon. I know we nerd out on God stuff, but I feel like we've both deconstructed our faith in a very similar way. But Shane Miller does this thing. It's again, like instead of having your theology down and like, well, this definitely happened and it's either evolution or the other and it's all going to end with the who knows, right? A better response is like, mm, I don't know, maybe we got it wrong. I don't know, maybe we should mix it up. Maybe we should change it up. I don't know. <laughs> I love that because I'm like, that's better. That's so much better because you just open for interpretation and, and evolving and the other. And that's, oh, that's exciting. Oh, okay. I could listen to you all day. I could talk to you for the rest of the day, but I'm really keen for a nap. <laughs> and you can do that. So let's say goodbye. <laughs> Curious ones. I will put a link to everything that we've mentioned that I can in the show notes. And you can definitely find out all about Maz on her website, mazcompton.com. Listen to her podcast called Last Drinks, buy her book, Last Drinks, listen to her radio show every morning. There's so <laughs> many ways that you can connect and hear the gold that pours out of Maz. So thank oh, you thanks. for being my friend. Thank you for coming on the podcast. And until next week, Curious Ones, have a wonderful week and we'll catch you then. Bye. Thanks, Kirsty. Love you, babe. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.